Hello, welcome to episode two of my podcast. We're here at Roarsville, Maryland at Big Cork Vineyards, about to speak to master winemaker Dave Collins. This is a good one, so sit back and relax. My name's Howard Fletcher, and this here podcast is called The Number One Two. Why not go downtown for a bucket of nickel? Mac and cheese in the side of me. I want to go downtown for a bucket of deck bones. They're right next door to the taste of free. Frankly, any industry, any production industry, when it starts out, there's a learning curve, uh-huh. and there's a quality curve, and there's a value curve. And all three of those curves over the past 30 years, the Mid-Atlantic has been overcoming. And uh, it's really exciting to have traveled over three decades of the learning curve, the quality curve, the value curve. Mac and cheese in the side of Why don't you take me downtown for a bucket of netball? They right next door to the tasty free. Yes, Big Cork Vineyard. Beautiful beautiful estate. Uh, visited last week, was very impressed. Those of you know uh, me or listen to the podcast know that I really have not visited vineyards in Maryland. And uh, I'm a Marylander, which I'm a little bit disappointed in myself for not doing that. Always went down to Virginia, but I will be back to Big Cork. And I recommend that any of you who are visiting the Maryland region, the Mid-Atlantic region, and if you are wine drinkers or just want a nice uh, day out in the countryside to see some beautiful terrain and uh, maybe share a glass or two, please come and visit Big Cork. Uh, I'll let Dave tell you the story. So with that, uh, no further ado, I'd like you to listen to my conversation here with Dave Collins, the head winemaker of Big Cork Vineyards. Okay, well, um, I'm here with Dave Collins, who's the head winemaker, owner of Big Cork Vineyards. One of the owners, Howard. One of the owners? Yeah. Randy and Jen Thompson are the principal owners. Okay. And I'm the sweat equity guy. (laughs) Well, listen, I'm really honored to have you here. Uh, I came up uh, last week and met you, had a little conversation with you. This is really a beautiful piece of land that you're on. And uh, what I'd like to do is just start out, let the audience know a little bit about yourself, a lot about your background. I will say that I think that uh, Dave's career kind of mirrors the later part of the industry, the wine industry in the Mid-Atlantic region, and he has a wealth of information, so take it away. All right. Well, thanks for for coming out, Howard. Um, I don't often get asked to talk about my past, but um, it is rather interesting because there is a little bit of mirroring as far as the modern wine industry in Virginia and Maryland and, and and all of the mid-Atlantic really. I studied horticulture at Virginia Tech and came out came out of school as a grower, a nursery grower and worked in the nursery industry and various greenhouses throughout uh, mainly Virginia and I became involved in the emerging Virginia wine industry about 1984. Mm-hmm. And that was 30-some years ago. And there were a handful of wineries in Virginia 
uh, most notably Meredith Vineyards, which does not exist anymore, near Middleburg, Virginia, Piedmont Vineyards, which I don't think is in existence either. And the industry was, was in its very early fledgling state. There was still mainly hybrid grapes being grown. There were some vinifera grapes here and there. The wine quality was not very good. Uh-huh. And it was not even recognized as a viable industry. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny you said that because I went to, I think I told you, I went to college down in Atlanta in the 80s. When I came back up here, which was 1988, I started seeing these articles in the Washington Post about the Virginia wine industry and people going to vineyards. And so I asked some of my friends who were still living in the area about it. Uh-huh. And they all were like, oh, it's terrible. The wine there <laughs> is really bad. And, uh, and I sort of dismissed Virginia wine for a really long time. And uh, now it's a whole different story. Well, you know, we, we look back on it with fondness over those years. And, and we talk about the wine quality. But frankly, any industry, any production industry, when it starts out, there's a learning curve. Mm-hmm. And there's a quality curve. And there's a value curve. And all three of those curves over the past 30 years, the Mid-Atlantic has been overcoming. And uh, it's really exciting to have traveled over three decades of the learning curve, the quality curve, the value curve, um, the consumer awareness. And we've just come so far. So tell me, how did you start out? What did, how, did, how did you get into well, it? In 1984, I was working, I was starting up a nursery in Northern Virginia, Loudoun County, uh-huh. and it's on a property on Route 671 where Bro Vineyards currently sits. Huh. But it was before Paul Bro bought the property, and the previous owner and myself were starting a wholesale nursery there, and we grew azaleas, and we grew rhododendrons, and field mums, and a variety of things. And we decided to go out to California and learn about viticulture. Mm-hmm. Now, with a pretty strong background in horticulture, it came on came very easily to me. But we took a, uh, a, a course, a short course out in, in University of California at Davis, spent a week touring Napa Valley back in the mid-80s, hmm. um, which was not at all what it's you know, like now. It, uh, back then, it was varieties like Chenin Blanc and French Colombard and Riesling and, and a little Chardonnay and a little Cabernet. And of course, now the whole valley floor is planted a Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> it was an Ing- Inglenook winery? Was that not yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Inglenook. Yeah, that's the Coppola place now, I believe. Right, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. We toured We toured Inglenook. Yeah. And, uh, and Mondavi. Yeah. yeah. And Sterling. And a few others but at any rate we came back and in 1985 I planted my first my first Virginia vineyard and it was three acres and um, it was I I will never forget it was um, two 200 vines of Chardonnay 200 vines of Riesling 200 vines of Saval Blanc 100 vines of Cabernet Franc another 200 of Cabernet Sauvignon and about another 200 vines of I don't know Sauvignon Blanc and there was some Delaware mixed in Delaware was a was a American grape and I tended the vineyard for a couple of years and um, successfully mm-hmm. not to a point that it produced any fruit because I left there 
and I went to work for my first winery, which is Willowcroft Vineyards, also in Loudoun County, mm -hmm. south of Leesburg. And at that time, Lou Parker, the owner of Willowcroft, was the only winery owner in Loudoun County. There was only one winery. Wow. There was one winery. And so I started there in January 2nd, I remember the date, 1987, and we had tremendous snowstorms that year. I worked for 10 years on top of Mount Gilead at, um, at Willowcroft learning uh, the finer points of, of viticulture and winemaking. And Lou was an established winemaker and he uh, was very free with what he taught me how to, how to do as far as winemaking. And Lou learned winemaking from Jim Law. Uh, Jim Law, of course, the famous winemaker at, at Linden. Mm -hmm. um, and Jim and I are kind of of the same generation. Uh, we're the same age, but Jim's been at this a few years longer than me. But at any rate, uh, for, after 10 years, that property that I had first planted that vineyard on was sold. Hmm. And a gentleman came up from North Carolina and bought the property. His name was Paul Bro. And I remember getting a phone call from Paul saying, I understand you know a little bit about these grapes. And of course, that was 10 or 12 years after I'd planted them. Mm -hmm. And I went over and I said, yeah, Paul, there's 200 here. 200, 200, 100, I knew exactly what the vineyard was. And he said, I'd like for you to consult with me on how to grow these grapes. The grapes had not been tended to in about two to three years. So they were, in, uh, in, they were badly in need of pruning and some cultural practices, which we got them up. I um, got him, got a little winery going in his garage, made wine for him for a couple years, home wine. <laughs> And eventually he built up, put up a big building and offered me a position to run the production, grow the vineyard and the winery. And we ended up growing that vineyard to 104 acres. Yeah, it's large. It's huge. Is it the largest in Loudoun? Oh, by far. Yeah. It's yeah. One, of the, one of the largest on the, in the east. Yeah, yeah. So um, after 14 years there, um, I met Randy Thompson, mm -hmm. and uh, we put together a vision, and with Randy and his wife, and Randy and I walked this property and drove it when it was corn stubble and soybeans. Where we are right now. Wh where we're sitting. Okay. And I knew at that point where the vineyards would lie, the orientation, where a winery would be best situated, right on top of this knoll, overlooking the beautiful South Mountain to the east, the Blue Ridge to the west, the Cumberland Valley as it opens up to the north. It's a tremendous piece of property. You're, you're in an excellent spot. Let me ask you about the land here in Maryland as opposed to Virginia. Now, I know we're not that far away as far as geography goes. Um, is there a difference, uh, a, a noticeable difference? I know that terroir is, you know, block to block can change but is it a big is there a big difference between what you were doing at bro and what's the, I would the, say the, no yeah I would say no not substantially we're 10 miles north yeah of the Potomac River and the state of Virginia mm -hmm. the soils are deep well-drained stony the terrain is rolling we're on the eastern side of the Blue Ridge the winds are fairly consistent here, which is 
people don't realize the importance of a breeze in a vineyard for, for a lot of reasons. The elevation is about the same as it is further, just a little bit further south. The varieties that we grow, I'm very comfortable growing these varieties, these vinifera, a little further north. These, some of these varieties would have a little difficulty with some of the winter times, hmm. winter temperatures, winter lows below zero, that sort of thing. But we're in a fairly mild position here um, for wintertime lows, that is. On the other hand, in the summertime, we have fairly cool growing conditions. So the advantage of the mid-Atlantic, and this is really, really important, the advantage that the mid-Atlantic has over areas further south or even further north is that we, we are in this sweet spot, this sweet middle zone of temperatures so that it's warm enough throughout the year that we can grow these vinifera varieties. But when we are at harvest time and these red varieties like Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot and Malbec are able to ripen in cool weather, this is really important, cool the cool nights of October are so critical for developing the colors, you know, the, the deep, dark anthocyanins that all of our red wines have, the tannins, the mature tannins, um, the flavors, just the, the in, intense complexity of these wines can only come about through cool, ripening conditions, uh -huh. in my opinion. Uh, very similar to Bordeaux, uh -huh. very similar to Bordeaux. I was over there a uh, couple of months ago, and they have very similar conditions. Rainfall, Bordeaux gets a lot of rain. We get a lot of rain. Rainfall is not an issue for the most part. Very similar, a little further north than Virginia, but not appreciably. Yeah, I'm. you mentioned Bordeaux. That's what I hear, I guess going back to now, when I first came back from college, I told you that people weren't too impressed with the wine that was being made in Virginia. Maybe they didn't know any better, but they didn't like it. Um, but what I've heard is that as uh, winemakers and growers learned the soil, learned the land, and came to the realization that this was much like Bordeaux, that the Bordeaux grapes thrive here, and Virginia sort of found its wheelhouse mm -hmm. for what to produce here. Would you say that's I would. Um, however, I would, it's my opinion. Uh -huh. I would say that Cabernet Sauvignon does not fit perfectly well in this region like Cabernet Franc does, mm -hmm. like Petit Verdot does, like Malbec. Um, I can't put my finger on it, but consistently we're able to ripen Cabernet Franc better than Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm -hmm. And so we do not grow it here at Big Cork Vineyards. We grow Cabernet Franc and the other four Bordeaux varieties. And we also have reds, some Italian reds, and Syrah, which of course is a, is a Rhone variety. Uh -huh. We'll be right back. We're big on great wine here at Big Cork Vineyards, and we can't wait to share our passion with you. But we want to do more than just fill your glass with the finest wines. We want to include you in the entire process and we welcome you and your whole family to our gorgeous estate. Our vineyard is nestled among the beautiful rolling hills of Roarsville, and it sets the perfect backdrop for enjoyable afternoons out and special events alike. 
you'll get to take your time wandering through our expansive natural scenery, giving all of your senses a chance to explore everything that makes our vineyard so wonderful. You're welcome to join us in our tasting room to sample some of our award-winning wine and perfectly paired food. And be sure to visit our market to take home a bottle for yourself. Our vineyards are also available for weddings and other memorable private events. Contact Big Cork Vineyards today to learn more. Well, I, see, I, love, I could listen to you all day because uh, being somebody who has sort of come into wine about about five years ago. Mm -hmm. I was never really a big wine drinker, and I'm learning every day something new. Right. When you're new to it and you're around grape growers or wine drinkers, you sort of have to accept what they say as being accurate because you know, I don't have a base of reference. And something I said to you last week that I haven't forgotten was I always hear or, or heard that Pinot Noir would not grow here. It's not a good grape to grow here. And then your face changed. <laughs> and you said that you were sort of experimenting or doing something now with some Pinot in your vineyard. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about that. Is it? Uh, well, we've, we've put, put in some experimental vines of Pinot Noir. Mm. A couple things about Pinot Noir. Uh, Burgundy can grow Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. uh, I was there recently and understand the differences between Cote de Bone, Cote de Noir, and the other regions south to north, that a 20 or 30 mile difference makes a lot of, a lot of difference between these premier crew vineyards, the grand crew vineyards, and the village vineyards. So terroir is important, um, and very local terroir is important. However, we have the advantage in this country, and especially in the east, uh -huh. of being able to experiment. We can plant anything we want and see. Early in the 80s, there was a lot of Riesling planted mm -hmm. around here. And there's very, very little Riesling grown now because it just proved to not be a real good variety for this area. It does, does better in northern, more northern areas like Washington State mm -hmm. or New York. New York does a great job with Riesling. The, the same could be said for Pinot Noir. There has not been a a lot of experimentation with Pinot Noir, but Pinot Noir has the repu does have the reputation of being very tight clustered, and very tight clustered grapes will sometimes um, burst in the fall. Um, it also ripens very early, so we're not getting those cool ripening nights and the cool ripening period in September when Pinot's ripening uh -huh. that we get in October when Cabernet Franc is ripening. Uh -huh. So perhaps if we were a little cooler, um, however, we're growing it. We're a little bit further north from areas that have failed with it further to the south. So we're going to give it a shot. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see how it comes along. I mean, I've, I, I, again, I, I don't like saying, I'm, I'm an optimist, so I never like saying never. But I, I started saying, well, you can't grow Pinot Noir here. And uh, I was glad to see. There have been a lot of people who have planted Pinot Noir that no longer grow it because they've pulled it out and replaced it with other varieties. But we're going to also be optimistic. Okay. Okay. This uh, podcast, I wanted it to be about wine, and I talked to some breweries, so to educate the public about wine and beer and that type of thing. But also I wanted for small business owners, for people mm -hmm. that are sure if they want to open up a winery or open up a brewery, it's a good podcast to listen to, but also just, a, just new businesses run into similar types of challenges or 
uh, the learning curve can be the same in some, some cases. So, but let's talk about a winery. Uh, for those who are romantically thinking about opening a winery and say, oh, I'd love to do that someday, what advice would you give them? What would you, you say that uh, they should make sure they do? Well, I would suggest talk to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, do a lot of research. But that really isn't any different from starting any business. Right. I would also tell people to understand that this is agriculture and there's a higher degree of risk involved in agriculture and especially with grape growing mm -hmm. because there's there are finer points of producing a crop and making fine wine is only it's it's dependent entirely on the on the grapes you cannot make fine wine out of average grapes mm. now you can make average wine out of fine grapes yes <laughs> we try not to do that though <laughs> is but, there is there a, an ingredient or material or um, something that might, if you're not familiar with farming, like I'm not, or familiar with winemaking, that might prove to be more costly than one might expect. That wouldn't be obviously a big cost. What, what, what variables is something that you really have to watch because it, it is very costly? Or is it everything? <laughs> well, I would, I'm just start, I would start with the land. Yeah. The land. Um, very few people uh, go into this business and buy land to start a winery, mm -hmm. um, at least here in the East. Uh, that's changing as the industry and the business is proving to be profitable. It's attracting more investors. But land, of course, is very expensive. Mm -hmm. And in order to you know, support a winery of this size, you're looking at 50 to 100 acres of land. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, uh, this land of Randy's family is 100% perfect for what we're doing here, for, for growing these grapes, for the, you know, the, here we are in the highlands of the, of the Piedmont, is perfect. Other than that, um, winery equipment is expensive, labor is expensive, a building is expensive, and um, understanding where your market is and where your competition is. Okay. Um, is very important. How much wine are you, do you produce now on average? In, in 2018, uh, we will bottle about 7,000 cases, which is definitely a small winery. We're, we're not a small, maybe approaching midsize. When, when was your first vintage? When the first? Well, the first vintage off the property was 2013. Okay, and that was, was that 7,000 as well, or was it, I mean? No, yeah, oh yeah. no, gosh, yeah. no. No, we started out at about uh, maybe, maybe about 2,000 cases, mm -hmm. and we've been steadily growing. Recently, demand for our wines has increased exponentially, and we've really had to aggressively plant more vineyards. Yeah, that's because it's good. Well, you know, I, I mentioned to you before, and I, and I will say on the broadcast that, uh, you know, my, my girlfriend is the one who really got me into wine, and we used to travel all these vineyards and visit all these vineyards in, and wineries in Virginia, mm. Bro being one of them, and, and many that you, I'm sure you know all of those folks. Sure. And whenever I spoke to them about where I'm from, I'm from Maryland, I live in Silver Spring, they would always ask me if I'd been to Big Cork. They speak very highly of, of this uh, this place. So, 
Uh, that's why I had to come up here and speak to you. Well, that, that makes, makes us feel really good that we've been successful and that we're recognized you know, throughout the East as being a quality producer. You also mentioned to me uh, about a Russian wine that you're currently or you have bottled and you're still experimenting with, which struck me as odd because the only Russian wine I'm familiar with is vodka. So, <laughs> right. well, what, uh, can you tell me a little bit about well, that? Well, it's kind of a long story. I'll, I'll try to be uh, as concise as I can with it. Mm -hmm. But we became, I became aware of a group of, uh, of grape varieties mm -hmm. known as the Russian hybrids. Okay. And um, the small fruit specialist up here in Maryland, Joe Fiola, had been growing these varieties at his research facilities for a number of years mm -hmm. and making research wines. And I learned about these varieties and started fermenting them and blending them. And we put together a wine that we call Russian Kiss. Mm -hmm. And it's called Russian Kiss because it's, for one thing, it's just a, a whimsical name. and. You know, we, we do a lot of whimsical, th I mean, our name is whimsical, Big Cork, you know, it just doesn't mean anything. It's just, so Russian Kiss is the name we came up for a wine with these Russian uh, grapes. And uh, so that's the Russian part. The Kiss part is the embrace that the varieties have with uh, the Russian varieties and the Muscat. We grow Muscat here. So it's the Muscat and the Russian varieties embracing for the Russian Kiss. And, and that's what we've what we blend together. Now, we're the, we're the very first winery in the country to put in a commercial planning of these Russian grapes. And we sent um, budwood that we collected out to California to be grafted and grown in a nursery. And they were sent back to us. And we have about two and a half acres now of these three Russian varieties that we, that we grow. There are more than three, but we've, we selected the best three. Okay, well, I did buy a bottle of that and I'm looking forward <clears throat> to, to opening it soon. Um, I'm, I'm not going to keep you very long because I know you're really busy and I, and I saw this. That's okay. <laughs> we'll just go to, oh, I'll say one more thing. I noticed on your website, and I didn't see it the last time I came here, but you all have a, 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 a what you call the big house, like a bed and breakfast situation. Uh, it's not exactly a bed and breakfast, but it's a, uh, we do call it the big house. It's a, it's a large four bedroom, uh, kind of a resort stay that we offer for some of our guests, uh, such as wedding guests, mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes corporate um, groups will, you know, have meetings up there. Mm -hmm. That's, that's very nice. The uh, where I really kind of started to have an appreciation for how the land works with the, with the vineyard and the wine and everything. Um, we went down and visited Veritas Vineyards down in uh, Afton, mm -hmm. and they do the same. They the same yeah. type of situation and. Uh, there, yeah, Andrew. I Andrew's such a good guy, and his daughter Emily. I know them. I know them well, yeah. and they've done a lot for the. Uh, they're in Central Virginia, down around Charlottesville. Correct. Yeah. 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 All right. I'm, this is the last part of the uh, show. I just call it last call. It's just uh, little short answers. Take as long as you need to. Okay. But just to ask a little bit about you and uh, and kind of personally what you like. What grape do you enjoy growing the most? What varietal do you? Do you have a soft place in your heart for them? Well, I have a soft place for Cabernet Franc, but every one of these varieties are my children, and I, you know, I nurture them all equally and love them all the same. Is there a particular 
meal? I know this is these are it's really hard to narrow these things down, but is there a, a meal that you think is like the perfect meal for you to have a a bottle of wine or Well, can... Cab Franc is, you know, it's something I really enjoy making and, and growing of course and is nothing better than a than a nice juicy filet mignon with a bottle of That's... Cab Franc. <laughs> I will not argue with that. Um you mentioned that you are, you know, you start working in Virginia wineries. You're very familiar with the wineries down there. Is there a particular winery that you like to visit or that you really admire what they're doing down there uh, that you'd like to mention? Well, um, there are many. Okay. Um, and and I actually, believe it or not, do not visit wineries very often. I, no, I totally believe Other it. than for, for, for professional right. reasons. I've told you about Veritas and Andrew Hodson, such a great guy. I've got great respect for, for Jim Law at Linden, Luca Pacina at um, Barbersville. Mm -hmm. There are a number of others. Doug Fabioli's in Loudoun County. He's a mainstay. He's been there for, he and I are good buddies. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that come to mind. Okay. Okay. I don't want you to, I don't, I don't put you on the spot, so. Uh, and this is the last one, and probably another hard one to answer, though. Um, if you were going to a national competition, and I know your wines have won several competitions, and they don't have to be your wines, but if you were picked to represent the state of Maryland, two bottles of wine in a competition, what would you choose? Of our wines here? Uh, it can be if your wine's here or just one that's represented. Uh, yes, your wine's here. Well, it would have to be Cabernet Franc, mm -hmm. probably the 2015 vintage. Okay. The 16 is going to be very superb as well. Um, I always like to put the Russian kiss in front of people because it's so unusual. Yeah. And there is not a wine like it anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, maybe in Slovakia. Yeah. <laughs> where these wines, you know, some of these varieties. Are By the way, I want to travel to that section of Eastern Europe and do some personal research on these where these Russian grapes came from. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it would possibly be the Cabernet Franc, maybe the Petit Verdot. Yeah. And and the the Russian Kiss is just something I I love to see people's expressions when they smell this wine because it's so fragrant. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, as you said, you're the only one bottling it. I'm just putting it doing it here in the states, so that would be really good. Um one more question this came to mind. Who is it when you are when you decide a wine is done, it's ready for bottling? Is that a is there a team decision for that, or are you the person who? It depends. It depends. Um, there are. I usually consult with someone on the sales team, uh -huh. um, so that we have in some ways some consistent consistency of product. Uh -huh. um, however, keeping in mind that I'm always trying to better the product. Okay. Um, what do our customers want? What do our guests want? Right. Do they want a really sweet Vidal or do they want a really dry rosé? And more and more, the answers I'm getting generically are we need dry wines. Our guests prefer dry wines. Uh -huh. Now, we have some semi-dry wines. Um, so I, I consult with... Um, Sometimes Randy and I'll taste, uh -huh. sometimes Amy and I'll taste, but I'm always mindful of our guests yeah. because it's really not about me. Yeah. It's, it's about this vineyard and our guests and bringing them together with a nice bottle of wine. That's why, you're, that's why you do as well as you do. So, <laughs> right. 
with that, I want to thank you for your time and for coming on the show. Thank you, Howard. Um, it's my pleasure. When we spoke before, I'm hoping that I can maybe get you on later and have a oh, conversation yeah. with an, with another winemaker or do something like I'd that. Be It'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Dave Collins. Okay. Have Thanks, Howard. Bye-bye. And that's another episode in the books. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'd like to thank a few people who made this whole thing possible. Dave Collins of Big Cork Vineyards. I'm looking forward to the next time already. Thank you very much for your time. Amy Benton, Big Cork's Director of Communications. Thank you for coordinating my interview. I could not have pulled this thing off without you. Randy and Jennifer Thompson. Thank you for having the vision to make such a magical place as Big Cork Vineyards, and I look forward to speaking with you in the future. And as always, I'd like to thank Mom for having me and being my stabilizer and foundation. Joan Zimmerman, the notorious JMZ, thank you for your companionship, trust, and creative support. I'm sure we're going to crack open that Russian kiss real soon. And Jack, you're the best pug a guy could ever want. Our theme music Tasty Freeze, and all the music in this episode was supplied by Cadillac Grip. If you're ever in the Denver or Boulder area, go see Cadillac Grip play. Because if you ain't hip to the grip, you just ain't hip. The number one two podcast was written, recorded, engineered, produced, and screwed up by me. I'm Howard Fletcher. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.